Il presidente. Ma cos'è la sinistra? Hello and welcome back to Take a Left, the podcast from the Socialists and Democrats. I'm Alex White. Happy Pride Month. Pride is a party and Pride is a protest. Being gay in one European country is a very different experience to being gay in another. We're talking all things LGBT plus across the EU with Marc Angel, the co-chair of the Parliament's LGBTI intergroup, Robert Biedron, chair of the Women's Equality Committee, and Katrin Hugendubel from ILGA Europe. I'm here in Strasbourg with Marc Angel. Hello, Marc. Hi, Alex. And uh, by audio link, hopefully, hopefully it's working, but with uh, Katrin Hugendubel, uh, the Advocacy Director of ILGA Europe. How are you? Hello, Alex. I'm fine. Thanks a lot for inviting me to join this conversation today. Thanks so much for joining. It's Pride Month. Um, we're talking about LGBT rights across Europe and the world. And I just want to kick it off and say, do, do gay people have equality now? It depends on where you are. Uh, then gay people have equality, queer people have equality in many European countries, but not everywhere. And uh, if I look outside of Europe, the situation is even worse. There is uh, there is death penalty for same-sex relationships in certain countries or, or prison. And so queer people or the LGBTI community to fight for our rights, there's a long way to go. And I think equality can mean many different things, right? So we can measure equality by looking at legislation, um, but also like what does it mean for people in day-to-day life? And and I think sometimes it's important that we look at the the letter specifically because we will mm-hmm. see that um, different people in the community will face different situations. There's still, as in the as overall in society, there's a gender gap. I would say the situation of lesbian women, bisexual, trans, and intersex women is often more precarious. They're more exposed to hate and discrimination. But but also overall, like um, trans and intersex people are facing challenges that some of those challenges maybe gay men have overcome. And how we're working together now to kind of use the advances we've made um, to actually bring forward all the other issues, I think, is is, is the key um, for everyone in the community and everyone supporting LGBTI rights at this moment. Exactly. That, that's, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for going with that, because who is Pride for and, and who are we advocating for? Um, in, in, like you mentioned, the acronym and... Well, as Catherine said, uh, uh, for me now, pride is, is, is um, as a gay man, I, we have already achieved many, many rights, especially where I come from in Western Europe. Yeah. But for me, pride is also to really uh, fight for our, our, our trans and intersex friends. And, and uh, that's that they need it the most because they have been the most discriminated lately. They are, they are the most uh, often victims of violence and of hate mm-hmm. speech, hate crime and uh, when I m- march for Pride now, I really, uh, my thoughts are with all the trans and intersex persons. Yeah, I think, I mean, Pride, Pride's for everyone. Pride's, uh, as you said, a celebration and a protest. And I think we really need to be very specific in, in, in being inclusive in, in, as I said, looking at the specific letters, but also looking at, you know, um, um, black people and people of color. We need to look at what um, disabled LGBTI people um, face specifically, for example. I just think we need to keep in mind that if we design legislation and policy that will actually reach to the most marginalized also within the LGBTI community, these laws and policies will also help um, the white gay man um, or the you know German bisexual woman. So if we, if we manage to include the most marginalized in the community, we'll actually manage to move forward for everyone. Fantastic. And um, 
maybe getting a bit specific early on in the podcast, but I wanted to talk about um, the the CJEU uh, decisions and, and national law. Where are we on that? Like, what looking at like an EU level, how how does that interact with the member states? Well, thank God that we have the European Court of Justice because uh, they have done some really good judgments which are in favor of LGBTI people, yeah. especially when it comes to freedom of movement uh, of LGBTI persons uh, because uh, we think and also the European Court of Justice says that uh, the freedom of movement cannot be uh, restricted by national laws that uh, ban same-sex marriage. I think what we have yet to see is then the EC actually following up on the judgments. So we're, we're celebrating landmark judgments that are really important steps but we then need to see the EC also making sure that all member states are implementing those judgments um, and can be through you know procedures that are started but eventually it will also be through infringement procedures. Um, I just want to add that I think overall not only on EU level but even on national level we've seen litigation so bringing cases of discrimination to court um, as one of the key advocacy tools and it's 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 a growing area and i think it's an area where we need to look how how to support um organizations and activists even better in kind of making sure these cases um reach the courts but then eventually also reach um the luxembourg court to help us push standards up on eu level there's the famous uh, Coleman hamilton case of mm -hmm. Romanian and American citizens where they didn't get um, the permit uh, for the American husband to stay in, in Romania. There was a judgment four years ago and uh, Romania still hasn't uh, changed anything in their law and the European Commission hasn't reacted. That's yeah. why together with ILGA we sent a letter to Commission President von der Leyen this week and um, it's so good to have also uh, ILGA Europe as civil society working together with us as, as the uh, LGBTI intergroup in the parliament mm -hmm. and I think these are actions we do in common and I, 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 I hope that they will be heard this time because four years for, for not implementing a judgment, I find it quite scandalous. Well, talking about geograph geographical differences, we obviously talk about attacks on the rule of law a lot in, uh, in the EU. Um, and maybe we often, maybe we talk about abortion more in, in Poland. And stuff. But are attacks on, on LGBTI people uh, part of that? Or do we, do we need to talk about that more when we talk about the rule of law in, in, in certain countries? So obviously, LGBTI rights are fundamental rights, are human rights, and the rule of law is crucial in ensuring uh, an independent jurisprudence is crucial in ensuring that these rights are guaranteed. So we've been pushing a lot to, to include violations of LGBTI rights in the rule of law procedure of the European Commission. I think we've, we've done that successfully. What we don't see yet is, is how this monitoring process of the European Commission, again, is leading to action then and actually helping us, um, you know, ensure LGBTI rights fundamentally. I think one key initiative I just want to mention here that's coming up is the EU planning a directive against SLAP, so um, what yeah. is called strategic law cases against public participation. I think often these cases are associated, rightly so, with, with court cases against journalists, for example, but we do see an opposition using it increasingly against LGBTI rights activists as well in, in Turkey, but also within the European Union. Um, and I think it's really important that there is a growing awareness um, and that there's also an attempt to actually legislate against these kind of cases. I mean, just to say, I mean, usually 
these cases end with um, the people actually being found not guilty. But what they do is like they cost a lot of money. They really deter attention and resources of human rights activists from actually doing what they, they want to be doing and they should be doing to actually being engaged in these court cases. I can only agree with Catherine and for me rule of law is very much linked to democracy, equality and respect for human rights and mm -hmm. uh, including the right of uh, persons belonging to minorities and uh, and therefore you can this all belongs together these are our values which are uh, in, uh, which are enshrined in the treaty in article 2 right in the beginning of the treaty so mm -hmm. you cannot divide it and just consider rule of law is how a judiciary functions in a country but it's much 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 broader it's all about democracy and you know you measure democracy on how minorities are treated i just wanted to jump in a little bit on the geographical divide as well because i think we have a it's it's we do fall into that black and white pattern and i think obviously especially when we talk about the rule of law the focus is on on a few EU countries and rightly so I think overall if we look at, at the rainbow map that ILGA Europe publishes every year we really try to to look at it more closely and, and kind of not fall into that trap we've seen for example this year a number of countries including Slovakia Slovenia um, but also in the Baltics moving forward and actually filling gaps that some of the so-called Western, some of the so-called traditionally very strong on LGBTI rights countries have not filled yet. So the mm -hmm. picture is always a bit more complicated and nuanced and um, it's often also the governments like if we look at Hungary for example I think it's a Hungarian government that wants to tell us that their country is not LGBTI friendly and is doing things also obviously unfortunately by really withdrawing LGBTI rights. Opinion polls have shown that also in Hungary, overall the Hungarian people are actually supportive of legal gender recognition, they're supportive of marriage equality. So also mm -hmm. in those countries, support is growing um, and we should kind of yeah look at it a bit more um, in detail, I think. I can only agree. And even in the Western Balkan countries, we've seen a lot of progress mm -hmm. lately, which is, which is uh, very good. And um, if I see, uh, I've been to Poland and Hungary a lot these years, the civil society is amazing, mm -hmm. what they're doing. And, and I, I never felt from the people that they are transphobic or homophobic, but it's more, more the government, the policies, and therefore one shouldn't say the country is against LGBTI people, but it's these governments which make these policies and which just yeah. use, it, use the LGBTI community to divide the society and to scapegoat them. And, yeah, it, and that's a pity, but it, it's, it's not the country in, in, in as such or the culture. Or No. We'll come back to Mark and Catherine later, but this feels like a good time to delve a bit deeper into some of the challenges facing LGBT plus people in Poland. We spoke to Robert Biedron about his experience as a gay politician fighting for his and other people's rights. My colleague Manu Luciana started by asking him about Pride. So we are here in Strasbourg with Robert Biedron, uh, Chair of the Committee of Women's Rights and Gender Equality in the European Parliament. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to meet you. My honor. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Um, so it's Pride Month. And uh, while for some it's a happy moment of celebration and support of LGBTQ rights, for others it's a moment of protest. So what is Pride for you? First of all, happy uh, Pride Month. Uh, I'm so happy to be part of this family and celebrate it. And uh, for me, it means a lot. It means uh, 
a real pride of being who I am and uh, which was not always the case because I come from Poland and I was growing up uh, in a little town where I found that I'm the only gay in the village and uh, so you can imagine uh, the feeling and here I am uh, and I see I'm not the only one and I wish uh, this was uh, the reality for all of us and it's not the case. As you said you're from Poland and uh, we saw according to Ilga Europe uh, 2021 report the status of LGBTQ rights in Poland is the worst among uh, European Union countries so Do you think the situation is getting any better or will get any better in the future? It's uh, difficult uh, and it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame because Poland is 18 years in European Union and when we were entering EU, there were lots of dreams, lots of hopes, lots of expectations that finally, finally we are joining a family where our rights will be guaranteed and we will never be victimized. Uh, we will, there will never be like a witch hunt or any kind of persecution. And uh, there we are. We are the most homophobic country within European Union, as you said, and uh, it's getting worse and worse. 30% of Polish territory are LGBT-free zone. In Poland, the country which has this history of having Jew-free zones, where Jews could not enter the tram, school, shop, uh, and now we have something what resembles the worst pages of our common history. And uh, it's very terrifying. It's very terrifying when the Polish pr president says that we are not human beings. And uh, the archbishop says that uh, we are worse than the red plague, the rainbow plague, I quote. So this is the Polish reality. And uh, that's why we need... Um, on the EU level, a kind of a framework, a, a catalog, a standardization where everyone will be protected. And I agree with Ursula von der Leyen where I saying that we need Europe of equalities. But where is it? Where is it? And millions of people within European Union and not only Poland are, are asking where is the Europe of equalities? And it doesn't concern only LGBTI people. The fact of ban on abortion uh, for women in Poland uh, uh, has limited women's rights and women in Poland have less rights than they had in 2004 when we are entering European Union. That's crazy. It really is. Uh, it's, a, it's a harsh reality and we can just hope that politicians like you will bring some change that we really need. Um, and to just uh, talk about your personal experience a bit, uh, of course, as a, the first openly gay member of the parliament in not only Poland, but also in Central and Eastern Europe, as we can imagine, you've faced a lot of discrimination and, uh, in your political career and in your private life. But uh, do you also experience people displaying unconscious biases and what can be done to reduce this? Yeah, of course. We, 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 we need to educate. We need to have courage to bring the change, especially politicians. What are we for in politics is not to bring the change. It's easy to, um, to be and not to do anything and to try to win again elections and again and again and again. But that's not who we are, especially if you are a progressive politician. You are to del deliver the change. You are to deliver the progress. You are to deliver uh, 
things I hope we as especially social democrats believe, which is also the advance in the equal rights. And uh, that's why um, we as SND group and we within our committee, we launch work on the convention dedicated to um, LGBTI people. There are hundreds of conventions and treaties on international level. Uh, we are meeting in Strasbourg, where is the seat of Council of Europe. They have delivered 300 uh, treaties uh, concerning everything. The quality of water, uh, postal pigeons, uh, uh, whatever you can think of. But then none of them, non-zero, concerns LGBTI people. We are here, we are queer, and we want our treaty as well. Just one last question, just to conclude. Uh, of course, we're in the center of the European Union, and here it's kind of easy for the LGBTQ community to find a network that really supports them. But, of course, this is not the case in other countries. Um, so what do you think can be done to create this network also in countries where it's hard to be openly part of this community? We should uh, unite. Uh, we should be stronger on uh, our demands. We should protect our democratic values. And what uh, happens when we are playing a tricky game and not defending it and not standing on our lines shows the war with Russia. And it clearly says what we as European Union can deliver and what composes our DNA is uh, the long fight uh, and uh, belief in human rights, democracy and rule of law. When we are giving up on that, we are losing globally because uh, uh, Europe can promise better life for people. Europe can promise uh, uh, standards which uh, uh, others can implement. And uh, uh, this is uh, our obligation. And we as uh, progressives, we are the ones who should have courage, strength uh, and determination to uh, fight for that change. Because uh, without this change, uh, uh, people will have uh, um, the life we were talking about, miserable life, when they may think they're only one in the village. And I don't want anyone to be lonely. <laughs> of course. Well, thank you so much for your time and this super interesting conversation. And yeah, happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. All the best. Thank you very much. <laughs> Now it's time to go back to Mark and Katrin, where I asked them about the culture war spreading across the world that seems to see trans people particularly and LGBT people in general as a scapegoat and a way of attacking vulnerable communities. <laughs> I mean, yes, a, cu a culture war is a concern. It should be a concern to everyone, right? And yeah. We've seen exactly the same thing happening on the backs of, of refugees, um, how also there the, the scapegoating mechanisms um, are being used. Um, I think Mark is completely right in pointing that out. I think, and I think the, the, the worrying thing about this is that things are being said by a government and that gives space to hate in a society. So in all these countries where we've seen um, governments using LGBTI people, scapegoating them, we've also seen a rise in, in actual hate crimes and violence. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Are we winning the cultural war? Um, of course, we're doing everything in the long run that we will. Um, I think what we need to be really aware of is is the resources that are being put um, into this and the, the, the links that are there. I think very often, um, 
this opposition come across as like local family rights organizations or the concerned um, women organization from around the corner. But that's not what's actually at play. We've done a lot of analysis and we you can see the same images coming up, the same posters coming up, the same mm -hmm. organizations coming up, the same strategies. These are concerted and targeted attacks um, against vulnerable people in the disguise of so-called concerns. And this is very important because often uh, we see patterns where LGBTI rights are attacked and after that women's rights are attacked yeah. so, and, and we have to really counter this movement. Yeah. And it's this anti-gender movement which is quite uh, internationally well organized, well financed and in certain countries in Europe even more financed yeah. and more active and more linked to government policies and and here, the civil society has to play a big role to support us yeah. to counter this uh, anti-gender movement. Who tell uh, who tell me that I'm an ideology? I'm not an ideology. And and those people fighting for LGBTI rights, they are not ideologists. They are human rights activists. And it's them, the ideologists, who wants who want to bring us back into a patriarchal mm -hmm. society. Uh, and, and and therefore, uh, it's important to to win this. Um, this, uh, this fight against this movement and these people. It certainly feels like it's it's more of a thing now, no? the, the transphobia, like the gender critical movement, like you just said, it's, it is growing in some places, although ILGA, Ilga Europe's uh, rainbow map seems to show progress. So I guess the question is, are things getting better or worse, or both? <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> so, as I said, we're publishing the Ilga Europe map every year um, around Idaho in May. Um, and it's the first year after years of stagnation and, and backlash where we where we are talking about a new dynamic. So we are seeing a picking up of some countries. We've seen countries like Denmark, for example, moving up a quite a bit by really systematically filling the gaps in their equal treatment laws, for example, adding sexual orientation, gender identity, as well as sex characteristics to their legislation. We've seen countries like Greece, for example, um, uh, abolishing bans on blood donation, but also just, just recently banning conversion therapy. So we do see progress, and, and I think it's really important to name that and to build on that. On the other hand, it is a very, very fragile um, situation. We are in a moment where, you know, we see, as I said, um, governments attacking LGBTI rights, government, governments withdrawing rights. So it's a fragile situation that needs more engagement um, from everyone. I think you're right. Um, trans rights have become the attacking point at the moment. We've really seen it quite systematically. Every country who took upon themselves to start reforming their legal rec recognition, legal gender recognition legislation has seen that wave. But also there, I feel the work we've been doing is starting to pay off, that governments are quicker in responding um, to what they've been seeing. So in, in Spain, after really a, a really harmful um, attack um, also in the media on, on trans people in the process of legal gender recognition reform. Um, the government eventually turned it around and moved forward, which I think is a very important example. Germany is now starting to, to talk finally um, after long t uh, delays um, re about reforming their legal gender recognition law. Again, the same storm is coming up. 
but again, I think the, the, the government is starting to respond and, and that's very important. I think that we can build on together in just becoming better in actually countering and becoming better in holding the fort and actually moving forward with the important legislative reforms um, that, that, that we need to see. And what I always say is, like, we don't fight for extra rights. It's not about extra rights. We don't need extra rights for LGBTI people. It's just about the same rights and mm -hmm. being recognized <laughs> and not being set aside. And, 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 and all we want is to be full members of this society, be included and not discriminated. Going back to rainbow family rights, where are we on rainbow family rights? Well, the parliament worked quite a lot on that. And we also had a resolution on this last year in the yeah. committee because we had a lot of petitions of, of same-sex parents and rain with children and uh, mm -hmm. they were hampered when they, they they didn't have their rights recognized when they moved to other countries so um, we really hope that uh, the commission will keep the promise uh, they said they will come out with a um, with a, a piece of legislation in the third or fourth quarter on mutual recognition on, on parenthood which is really good this is uh, the vertical line parents and children we would have loved it if it would also be horizontal that also just uh, same-sex couples without mm -hmm. children would be there would be a mutual recognition it would really be an important step forward and so we're you know we're fully fully on board and working on this together i i think it's just to remind uh listeners um that we still have a situation where a couple let's say an an italian and a danish woman having a child together might move to back to italy and actually only one of the two mothers is recognized um you know first of all you, you might think in a first instance that's not such an issue but if you think about hospitalization of one of the parent um i mean any kind of thing could happen that really leaves that family and especially that child in a, in a very very precarious situation i think the other issue if we talk about parenthood recognition is really transparenthood where still so much needs to be done in in many many eu member states and where i think again the commission could send through that legislation the right signals for member states to actually move on that and make sure that trans parents are fully recognized that their gender identity is fully um, recognized in in the documents of the child as well and here catherine said many many countries here we are not in the usual suspects but Many countries, I would even yeah. say most European member states, yes. have to do efforts <laughs> here. And just looking at the the way the world has changed in the last few years, has I mean, they're two separate questions, I suppose, but has, has the pandemic and has the war in Ukraine uh, slowed progress uh, on LGBTI rights? Maybe if you talk about rights, it's different. The situation, LGBTI people are often more vulnerable in the society. So yeah. the pandemic had an effect on them and especially on trans people where they couldn't continue their treatments, etc. Or operations had to be postponed or etc. So the, 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 but if you talk about rights, yes, freedom of assembly, for example, there was uh, countries where uh, prides were not allowed, but other assemblies were uh, right. allowed. And, and uh, in some countries, they, they said people can get married, but civil partnerships will not be done during during uh, uh, covid so there was some some examples uh, where rights were 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 impacted by the covid and also imagine these young people in 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 hostile environments in hostile environments living with their family which mm. is a hostile family or in an lgbti uh, free zone in poland that 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 wasn't wasn't easy during covid 
I mean, Mark mentioned a lot of issues there. I think we're yet to see the, the longer impact of both the COVID, but also on, on the war in the Ukraine and, and the impact it has on LGBTI organizations. Um, I mean, one thing we're seeing across our membership across Europe very clearly is that during the pandemic, many organizations have just been reinventing themselves. So organizations that, you know, have been doing advocacy, working with the governments, working on pushing legislation forward, all of a sudden, we're kind of really providing first aid to the community. So to precarious trans communities that, you know, lost their precarious jobs from one day to the other. We've seen organizations starting to hand out food packages. Um, and it, I think it shows the creativity the resilience of, of, of LGBTI activism that we're so proud of and that's so amazing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we need to be aware that this is wearing organizations out in the longer run. They've lost income resources, um, they've lost projects, they've lost um, income through prides and, and had to reinvent themselves. And many organizations are doing exactly the same yet again at the moment, supporting refugees from the war, supporting um, together with us, trying to work to ensure that hormones, for example, being um, shipped into the Ukraine and being made accessible to specific LGBTI shelters. So yet Yet again, we're facing an a, a moment where LGBTI organizations are taking on a work. I was in Poland three weeks ago when I talked to civil society and also to LGBTI um, association. They are exhausted and uh, yeah. because the pandemic and now the war and, and they're very active. And uh, I can only say what Katrin says is, 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 is really a reality and there will be a huge burnout. But And therefore, also politically, we cannot disappoint them. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they, they they look to Europe and they they they, they hope that uh, Europe is there also to support them and they have a, a big issue is funding uh, they they lack funding and they, they it's very difficult for them to to touch European funding and I think there also we have to a role to play here in the European Parliament to facilitate funding also to civil society in Poland and then moreover also to LGBTI um, uh, activists and NGOs. Obviously, with the the world changing with the war in in Ukraine, uh, what situation are LGBTI uh, refugees in uh, across Europe and across the world? But I think one thing to really mention is that the the EU has shown with the temporary protection directive that it can actually react quickly to to war situations and actually, um, you know. Um, make make um, make refugees welcome in those countries and I think that's a we need to keep that in mind and we really need to build on that overall for for EU migration and and refugee policy um, we've been looking a bit more closely with with all our members and how how the directive has been implemented and of course there are specific issues for LGBTI people like um, de facto family recognition for example I mean many couples fleeing from Ukraine and it is especially becomes a problem for binational couples. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have access to, to partnership recognition. They didn't have access to marriage equality. And if you flee from one day to the other, you don't think of taking your electricity bills from the last four years to prove that you've been living together. And we've seen real differences in how different EU member states handle that. I think access to healthcare, access to hormone treatments for trans and intersex people is another area where we've seen big differences between member states and where we are now working with the European Commission to really make sure um, that everyone gets access. Um, 
maybe just to mention a third issue is obviously safe accommodation and safe placement. Mm -hmm. um, so countries that have been starting to actually send people to different places across the country, how how safe are these these um, locations for LGBTI people? And again, are families actually being recognized? There were a few cases where we heard that families, because they didn't have the official recognition, were split and sent to different cities. And then with the intervention of LGBTI organizations, um, these cases could, you know, we could find remedies and, and reunite the families. So that there are clearly issues. There are LGBTI organizations across Europe very, very closely involved in, in supporting the community and often kind of providing the safe um, provision of services and goods where the mainstream um, services from the governments don't really cater for most vulnerable groups or don't make LGBTI people feel safe to, to reach out to them. Uh, countries should feel a bit ashamed that uh, they leave all this work to the civil society and to the um, LGBTI NGOs. I, I think um, th this has to change too. Thank you. And to conclude, what, what would what would both of you say to to anyone who might be listening, living in a I don't don't want to say non LGBT friendly country, but a non LGBT friendly atmosphere, perhaps under one of these governments that keeps pushing these things. Don't give up. Keep on fighting. Be continue to be resilient because these people have been already very resilient, and um, be patient. Of they have been already very patient, but still, just believe in us. There is there is a, civ a very good civil society, and there is a, the European Parliament, which is on your side. I just want to recall that in the European Parliament, out of seven hundred and five members, four hundred and ninety eight, almost five hundred, voted to declare the European Union an LGBTI freedom zone. So we have allies here in the Parliament. The Commission. A big part of the Commission is also very supportive. It's still a problem with some member states. But um, believe in Europe, I would tell them, believe in Europe and, 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 and get engaged in the civil society in your countries. I think I would like to go back to what you said at the very beginning. It's, it's Pride Month and Pride is a celebration and a protest. And so I think it's also, a, you know, let's all be proud with each other and, and create the the feeling of community that, that is needed to, to actually have that creativity and that resilience that I talked about before. So let's use that potential that's there within the EU to actually move things forward together. Thank you so much. Um, we still have some of Pride Month left, so enjoy the, enjoy the celebration and enjoy the protest. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for this. If you don't know when or where your local Pride is taking place, take a minute and look it up online. And if you've missed it this year, it will be there next year. Hopefully by then the situation in some countries will have continued to progress. But sadly today and every day, LGBT plus people still face prejudice, discrimination and harm across Europe. And every day it is our mission to stand up for freedom and LGBT plus rights. Happy Pride to everyone and thanks for listening. Take care.